Today on the Zabecast, some may say Virginia is luckier than a dog with two bones, but on Monday night, they just need 40 minutes of their best, and they'll be champs. The controversy, the whining, the zebras, and the stones of Kyle Guy. The first annual women's amateur at Augusta was a hit. I've got thoughts. Plus, my adopted hometown of Milwaukee might be on a serious run of MVPs. Bonus 1% Zabe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go. Monday, April 8, 2019. Thank you for downloading and of course, thank you for subscribing. Man, oh man, what a Monday. I call this Convergence Monday. Well, I've been calling it that for all of, well, just now. Because look at it. You've got the Final Four tonight, championship game tonight, the opening of the Masters tournament with the first of several practice rounds. You've got baseball already up and running, and you have the NBA and the NHL simultaneously coming to a close. It used to be, and it was only a couple years ago that this changed, Uh, The NBA would finish a touch later than hockey. But because of the way they reworked the schedules to avoid more back-to-back nights, and they kind of stretched them out and shipped the start, I I don't know how they synced them up, but I always remembered that it used to be the NHL started and finished first by about a week or so, and then it was the NBA. Well, now they're both finishing at the same time. So here we go. If you're not a sports fan, you're missing out. This is the best. Is it the best time of year? Is it better than football? Is it better than late fall when the World Series and baseball playoffs overlap? The football season? Oh, it's close. It's 1A and 1B. I mean, we all love football. We all realize football is the top dog, the kingpin. But at the same time, look at the variety. Look at the variety. Look at the delicacies we have on our plate this week. So let's get right to it. Wow. 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 Virginia escapes again. And they do it in a way that has produced, as I like to say, a sports radio buffalo that will feed the tribe for days. What a great sports radio topic that ending was because there are no exactly right answers. I feel pretty strongly in my take that, hey, that's a foul. That's a foul. That's a foul. Period. End of story. And James Breeding, the referee who called it, was absolutely 100% in the right to call it. Kyle Guy's shot was affected. It almost went in anyway. There are a a handful of delusional assholes on Twitter who, of course, don't put their real name to their accounts, running their mouth at me on Twitter saying it didn't affect the shot or he kicked his legs out into it. I'm like, what? Are you on drugs? You're drunk. Go to bed. Stop it with that nonsense. When Charles Barkley can admit that was a foul, there's no arguing it. It was a textbook foul that should be called on a potential game-winning three-point shot at the end of a game. Period. End of story. If you want to see a bullshit call, I mean a horrible call, Google search, and I did post this on Twitter, 1989 NCAA championship game, Michigan versus Seton Hall. In that game, Ramil Robinson, point guard for Michigan, dribbled into the paint, got fouled, heavy air quotes there, and was sent to the free throw line for two free throws that tipped the balance and helped Michigan win the game. I think it put him one down to one ahead. I went back and looked. I always knew that that was one of the big calls in NCAA tournament history, and I always thought it was marginal, but that people kind of accepted it like, well, you know, normally you don't call those little ticky-tack fouls at that moment, but in this case they did, so be it. Certainly in 1989, there was no internet and thus no social media, so the outrage was, well, I don't even know where you went to get your outrage. You had to go seek it out the next day. You had to go to the cooler at work. See that game? See that foul, man? That bullshit. Yeah, well, I haven't seen a replay of it. Oh, why not? Uh, My uh, VCR was blinking 12 o'clock because 
you know, I unplugged it to vacuum and I didn't reset it. And I was going to tape the game and forgot to tape it. Didn't watch. Did you watch the highlights on SportsCenter? Yeah, I don't have cable yet. You know, not, I'm eventually going to get cable. I saw it on the local news that night. And they, they showed one replay of it on TV. Looked a little bit dicey. But other than that, I don't know. I've moved on. I've got the Peterson file I've got to work on today. All right. Thanks for the coffee. I'll uh, see you at lunch. That was where your outrage was. It's hard to get outraged back in 1989. But if you watch it on YouTube, you'll say to yourself, oh, shit, is that horrible. That's horrible. That's a horrible call. Ramil Robinson is dribbling in the lane and passes. He passes out to the wing. And you can't even see where he might have gotten fouled. It's not even like the pass was interrupted. Tweet goes to the line. Makes two free throws. Michigan wins the national championship game. Ramil Robinson then goes on to an NBA career. And then after his NBA career, went on to a career of crime, of ripping people off, including his own family members, on ill-fated bullshit real estate deals. Look that one up on Wikipedia. What a bad guy Ramil Robinson turned out to be. That's that's how bad a call you can have. This call uh, that went against Auburn was not a bad call. It was a bad call. Play. Bad play by the defender to make an A to B jump and to get into Kyle Guy. We'll get more into it with Mr. X in just a second. But it's funny the logic some people have on Twitter. And, you know, most people were making good points and fair points, but some people said things that just made me say, What are you talking about? Is this your first day watching sports? Somebody tweeted at me, The problem is. Elevating a common foul in a situation like that and calling it, the end result of that is automatic loss of game. That's the problem I have with it. To which I said, Google situational awareness. Jesus, is this is this your first day of being a sports fan? Yes, a out-of-bounds call where a guy's foot is out-of-bounds is a common violation, a common foul. What's an uncommon foul? And it didn't mean an automatic loss of game. Kyle Guy had to hit one, two, and then wait through the freeze-out timeout and hit the third. Man, oh man. I loved Kyle Guy afterwards said, I'd like to believe that, I'd like to say that I knew I was going to hit them all, but I was terrified. So that thinking is just, I don't, I don't get it. I I almost want to get some of these people who are on me on Twitter, get them on the phone and just talk to them. I, like, let's talk about this. You, sir or ma'am, you were presenting some concepts and ideas on Twitter that were frankly idiotic and outrageous. I want to hear more. I've come to the idiot store to hear more of your complaining about this, that, or the other. And then, of course, there are the double dribble, which I've never heard the word double dribble as much as when I used to play the Konami video game from the late 80s. Double dribble! And it goes ah, Double dribble! It was such an obvious call, nobody knew about it until they came back from commercial break and said, oh yeah, by the way, that should have been that. Some people said they got it in real time. Mr. X, who you hear from in just a second, said his son texted him right away and said, that's a double dribble. Look, there is no perfection in games. You can't get perfection. And you had Auburn screwing up on a multitude of strategic errors, not the least of which was not hitting their own free throw to truly ice the game at four points, not three, at their end of the floor. Always comes back to bite you on the ass. But we'll get more into that game with Mr. X in just a second. Okay. Let's talk first annual Augusta National Women's Amateur. Won by Jennifer Cupcho of Wake Forest, beating Maria Fassi, her friend and collegiate rival who plays for Arkansas. Cupcho went hammered down starting on number 13 by hitting a beautiful, towering fairway wood into the par 5 to set up either an eagle or birdie. I think it was eagle. 
She went like eagle, birdie, par, birdie, birdie, something, something, and just hammered down, blew past her rival and friend, Ms. Maria Fossey. She also did it suffering migraines for the first time since ninth grade on the 11th tee. Pretty damn impressive. And she birdied 18 like a mouse. I mean, just ran it right in there. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I have two daughters myself. Neither one plays golf, but that's okay. I, I, did, I did my best to, to introduce them to the game. And when I say I did my best, what I really mean to say is I failed miserably because, you know, if I had really done my best, they would have had golf clubs duct taped to their hands and they would be golfers right now whether they liked it or not. They may hate me. And they may end up hating the game as soon as they get out of my shadow. But damn it, take me to golfers right now. No, but I, you know, as a father of daughters and as somebody who loves the game and as somebody who loves to see a beautiful young woman with a broad smile, a ponytail and a ball cap, just bouncing down the fairways of the most beautiful course on the planet. God, I love that. You can't not like it. Now, Augusta National did not have to create this. They did not have to lend their course to such an event. And you all know the famous showdown with Martha Burke. Blah, 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 over the female membership issue back in the mid-2000s. I want to say it was 05, something like that. Of course, there are people now saying, well, took them long enough. Grumble, grumble. Others, critics I saw on Twitter saying, one round. Thanks. I've heard some people say uh, they're criticizing there was like a three-minute piece titled One Day When I Grow Up, dot, 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 or I Dream Of, something like that, and it was young girls dreaming of someday playing at Augusta National. And somebody, uh, I believe it was Alan Shipnuck, snarkily tweeted, One day I dream of actually getting paid like the men do to play at Augusta National. Oh, for fuck's sake. Really? Really? Now? There's reasons why, there's good reasons why the LPGA should not have an event at Augusta National. The number one reason is the PGA Tour does not have an event at Augusta National. A pro tour like the PGA or the LPGA, they do things their own way. And they involve a lot of corporate involvement. If the LPGA were given an event there where they were you know, being paid money, how are they going to make money? How are they going to monetize it? Who's going to share the money for it, et cetera, et cetera. You could say, well, the LPGA could just recognize a pro event like the PGA Tour recognizes the money from the Masters. PGA has nothing to do with setting up or running the Masters, but they accept that result for world rankings points and money list and a bunch of other stuff. You could say that, but This to me is better because it's a gateway for young girls to dream and to say, I'm going to play in that event. And it also keeps Augusta from being overused just a bit because there's got to be something special about seeing the national every spring for the first time. It used to be, we didn't get to see it until say Wednesday evening uh, when the par three highlights would come out. And now we're seeing it on the Golf Channel from the first opening of the gates on Monday. We're even seeing it on Sunday with the drive, chip, and putt, which is another great event that the Augusta membership should be applauded for, and the PGA of America. Very cool. I participate in a similar event. It's called the Slice, Chub, and Skull. Actually, no, it's the Slice, Chunk, and Yip. Very good at all three disciplines. Four, <laughs> and then yeah, missed a three-footer. These kids are so good at chipping and putting, it pisses me off. It's almost like they don't have a job or a mortgage or a family to worry about. It's almost like they haven't been scarred in life by enough missed three-footers that your buddies laugh at and cost you $50 in a three-way Nassau. Eh, they'll learn eventually. They'll get that scar tissue themselves. But now we got to see Augusta starting on Saturday, and you're seeing it on Sunday. Hey, I want the old girl to keep some of her clothes on. I want some of the mystery still there. 
But critics are going to be critics, and they're going to you know pick at things as much as they can pick at them. I think this was great, and we'll see where it goes. Maybe they will add an extra round at some point. Maybe they will somehow open it up to professionals. But I'm fine with it just the way it is. And I love the fact that Nancy Lopez, Annika Sorenstam, Sayri Pak, and Lorena Ochoa were your honorary starters on Saturday morning. Lopez, American, Sorenstam from Sweden, Pak from South Korea, and of course Ochoa from Mexico. Perfect. Global representation, great. I love the fact they had Shot Tracer. I love the fact that Mike Tirico was announcing. Maybe someday he'll do the big tournament. It's good. One more thing about Augusta before we pivot and talk about the tournament and the Final Four and Virginia's escape. There was a photo I saw once from one of the, I think it was the Augusta or the Masters website detailing preparations for the tournament. And they showed a worker putting a fresh coat of paint by hand, green paint, on the curb of Magnolia Lane that rolls right up to the clubhouse. It was the darndest thing, and it got me to thinking about how the Masters is and how they operate and what they're about. Augusta, I think, operates via this basic principle. It's good enough but it has to be perfect. There. Think about that. It's good enough, but it has to be perfect. For example, they could have ripped up and redone Magnolia Lane, which is just an asphalt driveway, and lined it with the finest Corinthian cobblestone, fancy-ass pavers, and whatever. Hell, they could line it with gold. For, for all the money they make. But they don't, because it's good enough. It's simple. But their attention to detail is such that it's still got to be perfect. It's still, you still have to put a fresh coat of hand paint on the goddamn curbs, pardon my French, leading up to Augusta National. The scoreboards at Augusta are still old school scoreboards. There are no video boards. There's no electronic scoreboards. They have the money and there's the technology that they could implement uh, implement these things, but they don't. They've got the old ones where you see each player's score number by number, hole by hole. But guess what? When you're there and when the leaderboard is changing and guys are moving up and down, those names with all the numbers, it could be sometimes 12, 13, 14, 15 numbers that are moved up a couple of spots. It's pretty man labor intensive. They happen right away because they got them staffed up and they're on radios and they're like, okay, all right, this is Adam Scott's score. He's on the third line. He's just made Eagle on 15. We're moving him up to the second line. You ready? Okay, here we go. Boom. They take all the numbers down. They put them up. They sort it around. It's great. The scoreboards are good enough, but they have to be perfect. Same thing with the concession stands and the concessions. Simple. Cheap pimento cheese sandwiches, little chicken sandwiches, soda. The the concessions are legendary at Augusta for both their simplicity and their price. They're good enough, but they've got to be perfect. The driving range at Augusta used to be completely substandard. It was too small. It had a huge net that faced Washington Road uh, leading out alongside Magnolia Lane. And as players got longer and longer and the golf club got more weaponized and the golf ball started flying like a missile, guys were flying it out of the range. So they bought up property next door and they built an incredible range. Incredible, excuse me, practice facility. And you saw it in the drive, chip, and putt. But also the buildings that they created with this new area looked just like the existing clubhouse, and all the other buildings in the property. It's good enough, but it's got to be perfect. Can't wait for Masters Week to officially begin. Hello. Are you alive after Saturday night's Heart Attack City, Mr. X? I am. 
I am. It's good. <laughs> tell me what, it all along. Tell me what you were thinking when it went down. Well, a couple things. First of all, all the crazy things that happened at the end, the, the intentional foul, the double dribble, the three-point foul, all that stuff really overshadowed um, very poor coaching, I hate to say it, down the stretch by Tony Bennett. And then Bruce Pearl saying, oh, yeah, you're bad. I can be worse. <laughs> I thought Virginia's possessions and their shot selection was so True. bad. It was weak, but the part I'm talking about is I don't understand these days where, I mean, it with six seconds left and two timeouts Virginia had in the bank, if not for Pearl deciding to inexplicably intentional foul at the end, Ty Jerome's heaving a shot from half court that's going to miss, and we go home with two timeouts in our pocket and a loss. Whereas after, and, and then Pearl bails him out after the first intentional foul, and then they inbound it again. And, and I still don't know why we don't call timeout and advance the ball and you know, make a free throw down, a free inbounds pass down court. Pearl has him foul again. And finally, Bennett says, okay, if you insist, I'll call a timeout and win this game. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was almost like Belichick and Pete Carroll, where Belichick screwed up the Super Bowl clock, and Pete Carroll goes, oh, really? You want bad coaching? Watch this. We're going right. to throw the ball from the one. Well, That's the, what it was like. It was bad and worse. The, the timeouts, really. though, I mean, the fouling, the theory is you don't want guys to get a clean look, even if it is from half court. But the only reason that that shot would have been from half court was because he dribbled off the back of his heel, which should have been a violation, as we now know, but looked like it might have been a deflection by the defender. Yeah, it was. That's a really tough call. So, in uh, other words, in other yeah. words, he, Pearl told his guys, "Foul! Don't well, let him get a three point look." And had he not dribbled off the back of his heel, he would have advanced to close to three-point range for a look. And imagine if he... Oh, Mr. X. Yeah. It still was going to be a long shot. It wasn't going to be a routine three. No, no. It would have been a good look if it didn't go off his heel. So it goes off his heel, and yet the Auburn player is thinking, coach told me to foul, coach told me to foul, coach told me to foul, and so they foul. Right. Yes, and, and there was no excuse for Bennett there with two timeouts to not – when you – I mean, these are 20-year-old kids. I want to tell them what to do. I want to set up a screen and pop a guy open and get a good look like they did, sort of. This whole run – but what you see time and time again is one or two dribbles past midcourt and let it fly. And you know what? If I'm Auburn, I don't care if you, quote, have a good look from 40 feet. I'll take my chances. Well, you're talking about you wanted a timeout after the missed free throw from Harper. I would have used one there. I would have advanced it to midcourt, used well, a second, hold and on. set up a play. You don't get to advance it. I don't college. mean this. I mean inbound it to midcourt and call another one. Okay. See, inbound it, call another one. Okay. Yes. That's See, what they used to do. Well, true. Now, I'll I'll just say this in defense of Bennett, at least as far as the timeouts go. I personally like it when teams feel good about prior to a missed free throw, that'll give them a shot to tie or win the game going ahead and running in the flow in the moment, because remember the defense would have time to set up and establish, okay, here's our guarding principles on this next inbound. I understand. I'm still a believer that a good screen play pop open a shooter, okay. actually, you know, is better than just a guy dribbling around and okay. nine out of 10 times they launch it. And that's, okay. and that's fair enough. And, but also don't forget, sometimes teams have a devil of a time just inbounding. Sure. And so By maybe way, that was something that also was in, you know, Bennett's sure. mind, but okay. Uh, yeah. And by the way, <laughs> on the, um, last play inbound where he hits guy in the corner and he gets fouled Deandre Hunter, who screened for him, came off the screen as open as open can be <laughs> from the right off the elbow for a two point tie, maybe a step back from three. And he throws it to guy who's getting close on Hunter. If you watch that one again, I know nobody's seen that Hunter could not Hunter's man. I don't know what he was doing. He just hung out in the lane and said, go ahead and hit the game winner. And instead he threw it to guy. 
but we'll take it. It's better I, to be lucky than good. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, there, I was saying earlier on the podcast here, I said some of the people, and it wasn't many, but a couple people on the pod, on the, on Twitter just refused to admit there's a foul that a it was a foul or that b it affected the shot and i'm like you're you looking at? you're drunk oh, go to bed it yeah. reminds me mr x of when i had listeners insist to me jeffrey mayer was not over the outfield <laughs> fence i kid you not against the orioles <laughs> they insist I know. and, and I, know. I say and i say are you high like literally it's right there what are you gonna do? You yeah. know, I, I don't know. I guess I guess there's biases that just taint you so bad you can't see. But I mean, it's part of the profession. You got to see clearly. Yeah, and then and then there's the there there the certain people that believe in the you don't call that foul here crowd. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you something about that. You history. You got to remember how things happen and why they happen before you just forget. Now, to me, I, I explained this one recently. It used to be, you know, when you go to the basket, there's always contact. You know, I'm not talking about the hard block charge, which is, I'm just talking routine contact. Right. I can't get, always get out of your way. When Zion Williams is going to the hole, there's going to be contact. Now, the point is, especially in the NBA, the Jordan, the Ewing era, if we started to hear, you know, when that guy's going for the game winner, there's always contact. And you would teach the shooter, make the shot. Don't expect to be on the line because I'm not going to give you that kind of I'm not going to give the foul call on routine contact in the lane when the game's on the line. You got to finish. You got to finish at the rim. You got to make the shot. But nowadays, the game has changed so that everything's a spot up open jump shot, maybe a three, maybe a long two. And if you foul a jump, it used to be if you foul a jump shooter, you're stupid. Yeah. So they're applying the rule of, oh, we're not going to call a foul there from the old days of if you go to the rim, you better score. I'm not going to I'm not going to call this little contact or at the end of the game. But if you foul a three point shooter that in you can you imagine the point is guy damn near drilled that three. And it oh. was it was an easier shot than the one he hit five, six seconds earlier. Yeah. And you know what? If you don't foul him, he may make that. You have to call that. No, I and, I totally yeah. agree. And but it's and, not this. And, everybody uses the old rule of "I'm not putting you on the line." Yeah. But that's going to the bat. Like you know what? The UCF Duke game. Remember the buzzer shot that the UCF guy drove? There was contact all down the lane, and he takes the shot, and it goes in and out, and they miss the tip. That's contact that you can't really say was it on offense or defense. It's tough. You got to make that shot. I'm not going to put you to the line. Yeah. But if you go fouling a jump shooter, just go home. Well, there's the, you lose two two things, and I talked about this before I called you. The '89 championship game, Ramil Robinson. That call was on a pass, not even a shot. Two seconds left in the game, and the guy whistles a touch foul on Seton Hall. Sends Ramil Robinson to the line, two free throws, wins the national fucking championship. You want to get outraged about something, go watch that. Of course, nobody gave a shit about P.J. Carlissimo and his team that year and whatever. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you talk about contact and going to the hole. This is specifically what Bruce Pearl has talked about in regards to why he wants his team taking threes. He said, why would we go for a contact shot, which most two-pointers are, Instead of getting a clean look on a longer shot, but one that is not going to involve contact. He literally points out the contact issue as to why he plays stylistically the way he does. That's true. In the old days, everything was work it into the lane, shoot a little turnaround, try to make it while you're being, you know, there's contact. Now it's like, why do that? Let's Somebody's open, yeah. and there's such good shooters. Why have any contact? Let's find the clear guy and knock it down. Yeah, now, that's, that's very good. Now, regarding the uh, double dribble, you claim to me that your son, one of your three oh sons, yeah. noticed it in real time and texted you during the timeout. Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, I mean, he's off at college, and we're watching that. And during the timeout, I get the uh, text from him going, that was a double dribble. This, I'm like, what is he talking about? I had no idea. Like, what double dribble? And it was dead on. I think him and Gene Steratore were about the only two that had it. Right. And this is another point I made on Twitter, and which got some people riled up. I said, "Well, 
you know, everyone's screaming about it now. How come Raftery, Nance, Grant Hill, nobody saw it in real time? No. How come Bruce Pearl wasn't going crazy about it? No. How come because, none of how come none of the Auburn players were doing the no. double dribble, double dribble? They would have no, been doing that a, if yeah. it was obvious. Right. It was a fluke play. It looked ori- originally like the classic reach in. He was trying to foul. Ball got poked away. Pick it up. And then when you watch a replay, you're like, oh, wait, he never actually touched it. So that's fine. By the way, the same college son is the one who texted me after that Duke um, victory by one over Central Florida. I'm going to take you back when uh, the Central Florida missed the shot and Dawkins, kid missed the tip and RJ Barrett got the rebound and started to run and celebrate. And he hit, we, and my son pointed out, we watched over his third step as he ran to celebrate. There was still like 0. 0.7 on the clock. That's, that I thought, it I thought it should have been a trap. I know. I thought that as well. Yeah, that was, but you know what? These things are easy to dissect. You know, well, on fast motion, nobody thought it was a double dribble. It just looked like something that happens all game long. Well, and you think about it. So you have a case where if that referee calls double dribble in a blur of a moment where you don't see necessarily hands, feet, who touched it, what's happening, you might have yeah. been mistaken, then how do you overturn that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Because <laughs> apparently, apparently you cannot overturn a violation. No. Nope, it's only yep. inbounds, out of bounds, and who touched it last, shot clock yes. violations, yes, and and it, was it a three or not a three? Yep, you know so, the drill. It's like we're going to make part of the game perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right, but the other thing, too, someone pointed out, this was a good point on Twitter, they said it looked odd, and just like the Saints call, yeah. it looked odd, and referees – Really, they rely a lot on patterns and shapes of typical plays. And when they get a shape that doesn't fit their eye, it's harder to make the call because they're just not used to seeing it. Exactly right. In baseball, they call that a train wreck play, where it's kind of the one guy going to the bag, the runner comes in, and there's a collision and everything else. They call it a train wreck. And and those are the hardest calls to make because it doesn't fit what you're used to seeing. You're right about that. By the way, I was feeling so good, and I was so tired of the double dribble tweets that my my response to it was, if they called the double dribble – Virginia would have stolen the inbounds and knocked down a three. <laughs> Everything's going right for that team. So just get over it. <laughs> yeah. That could have they been. They probably it. would have, right? And then there was people that did the screen grab game, which is popular now in sports with social media. Yes. Grab one frame of video at 30 frames per second and say, see, this was a foul because the defender did swipe and grab briefly the jersey. And then we'd be talking about there was a clear intentional foul. They're calling for an intentional foul. Right. He does an intentional right. foul. You miss it and call a double right. dribble. Come right. on. Okay, By the that... way, that's one of the things that always happens is when they're calling for a foul, very often the ref will whistle that thing almost before he fouls because they yes. don't want to be late on it. So you would have really expected him to call it there when the bench is yelling foul and he reaches into foul and it turns into a double dribble. You know, very often you're like, wait, I didn't foul him. I'm like, well, but I thought you were going to. Yeah. It was was amazing, too, that Virginia was so light on fouls. They had to catch up by the end of the game. Same thing that happened to Duke in the previous round. Yep, I saw that coming with about three and a half, four minutes to go. I looked and it's like two to two or three to three, and I said – Auburn's going to be in trouble here because they're not going to be able to foul at the end. Whoops, 12 points in a row, and suddenly it was Virginia's problem. Yeah. I had when uh, the lead switched. I had your who's minus actually six by the time it six. went off. Yeah. And, of course, I was feeling pretty good as they were up 10 or 11, yeah. and then things started going to shit. When It started going to shit when – Jerome's fourth Jer- foul. Yeah. Well, even before that, Jerome okay. gets ISO'd on Brown, the sh- small shooting guard, and he starts backing him in dribbling the air out of the basketball. And it was like yep. 20 seconds of him, I'm posting up, I'm posting up, I'm posting up, I'm going to get him, I'm bigger than him, I'm posting up, I'm posting up, shitty shot, and now I'm going to com- commit my fourth foul in total frustration. 
Yeah. Because he, he got fouled on his shot, and then he, he did the stupid foul did. in return. Yeah, yeah and it's he like, probably did. And it was a critical fourth foul. That changed the whole game. They had it in complete command up until that point. You're yeah. right. And then and then he went to the bench, and then they started hitting some shots, and it was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> there, go- there goes the cover. Okay, back yep. to the uh, end of the game situation. I got to say, first of all, Bruce Pearl, no matter what you think of him, handled it really well after incredibly well so did the kid who made the foul even more so let me read you this quote uh from uh samir dowdy six four junior guard from philadelphia sat out his sat out his first season at vcu because of academics played a year sat out another year and then transferred to auburn here's samar dowdy samir dowdy not only sat and took all questions after the game Face up, no tears, no like, okay, that's enough. I can't handle it. He was a total man about it. And here's what he said. Just like Cam Newton. Whoops, never mind. Yeah, no, definitely not. (laughs) Uh, Dowdy, quote, it's definitely not a disappointment. We came a long way. We feel like we had an incredible season. We never made the Final Four before. We made history. We just wanted to keep continuing to make history. We fell short to a great Virginia team. We lost to a great opponent. Perfect. He then said about the foul, he said, I'm not into that. That's their job about the referees. I mean, they're going to do their job the best they can. The referees don't try to tell me how to put a basketball in the hoop, so I'm not going to tell them how to make the right or wrong call. We knew these were great officials out there. They missed some calls. They made some calls, but that's why they're refing the Final Four. They're the best of the best. You have to trust them. Oh, my God, Mr. Esch. Yeah. This, this is a 20-year-old kid. I love this you know kid. What, yeah, and you know what's even better than that is the fact that I watched him say what you just read. Otherwise, I would have I would have bet you anything. He was reading a script because exactly. it was so perfect. But he wasn't reading. He was talking. And that's You, a, know, the, you know how the pros read whatever the PR guy oh, tells right. them to read? Yeah, when they yeah. That kid was talking off the cuff in the locker room. You can't have a more impressive statement that I can remember. No. That's just unbelievable. Totally impressive. The guy, the kid's a yeah. man. I, I love that. Yep. And by the way, uh, the guy who didn't take it so well, I believe Harper, their point guard, was caught on camera walking back to the yeah. locker room saying, man, Final Four needs some new refs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck, come on. Yeah, I know, you're, yeah. I know yeah. you're devastated, but bro, enough yeah. of that shit. Well, when he's when he's mad in the hallway and it gets caught, you're right. But I don't have an issue with twenty one kid, twenty one year old kid being upset in the hallway, not knowing it's on film. You know, is it wrong? Yes, but you know what? I understand it. It's not quite the same as at a press conference or or let's say being a Super Bowl quarterback or whatever. Like Cam can't handle it. That's a different game. I'm okay with that. You're right. It was a wrong thing to say, but you know, let's keep. You know, I'm not gonna worry about that guy. Do you know? Do you know there are some dummies out there that went down the road of. Watch the video. The ref who called it had his hand in the air before he blew the whistle, meaning he was ready to call that. Hey, dummy, he had his hand in the air to signal this is a clean three-point attempt if it goes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. God, some people are so dumb. Can Can we take people this fucking dumb and ban them from the internet for a month and say, you know what? Take some time off for your sports opinions. You really aren't very good at it. Come back in a month. Exactly. Well, it makes the rest of us look smarter. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, some other mop-ups from this game, and then we'll get to Texas Tech, who just crumpled Michigan State after Michigan State rallied to get back into it. We'll talk about the title game. Virginia's a slim one-point favorite. The total yep. is insanely low although it may not be low enough given these two teams and their defensive prowess. Uh, what else from the game? Well, we didn't talk about, you know, Kyle Guy's amazing onions, as Raftery would say, to hit all three. Hit oh, that, yeah. all three. And to hit the third after a ice on the wings timeout. Yes, yes. He did. He looked like he was having fun at the line, didn't he? But I mean, the, the shot that he hit with nine seconds left is is what really, you know, that shot was a terrible, crazy three. That misses the game is over. That was to me the one that was everything. But that was harder than hitting three free throws. But you're right. I mean, how many times does a good free throw shooter there knock in two out of three? I was, I was, I was thinking overtime, and I'm happy with it at that point. But he, I'm glad to have had all three. He also shot them pretty quickly. Yeah. 
And that, that's, that's, he shot that's, him the same way he always does. Right. That's his normal rhythm. But even in your normal rhythm, you think, okay, it's the game's on the line. Yeah, it was tough because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, point six, hit three, win this. Two and, a, and an overtime where we can cover the six would not be that bad of a thing. <laughs> were you were you on that side of it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It looked good for, for most of the day and then until the last couple-minute collapse. Yep. All right, that brings us to the night game, Texas Tech against Michigan State. Tom Izzo is now two and six in the final four. Two and six, I'm sorry, in the yeah, two and six in the final four. So in other words, he's been to eight final fours. He's only made to two yeah. title games. Not real good. Not real good. What happened in the night game? You know, I don't know. When you when Mooney you play happened. defense. <laughs> yeah, when you play defense and those games are in the fifties, it I always feel, I know this is silly, but I always feel like it just takes one cold spell to go, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. Right. And they came out in the second, I mean, the game was even the first half, and they came out to shoot in the second half, and all of a sudden you're down 10, and and they missed, and they missed, and they're down 10. And at that tempo, and the Texas Tech guys banged home two or three threes in a row, all of a sudden you're down 10, and they panicked. They did get it back, but. You know, it just takes one cold spell to change a game that's that low score. You know, when you're playing a game in the 80s, it's a it's a pendulum. I score 10 in a row, you score 10 in a row. It just happens. But in a game that's going to be 50, you can't get you can't overcome one cold spell it seems. There's also a lot to be said. I mean, Cassius Winston for Michigan State's a great point guard. He's going to be a pro and but there's a lot to be said for the point guard like a Matt Mooney who's it doesn't have to be white, but they usually are. They always are. They, they usually are. <laughs> they are. You know what they are, Mister X? The, the white buzz Johnny Buzz cut white guy point guard. They do nothing spectacular yet. They have a great rock solid handle, and they know where to get the ball, when to get it there, at yeah. just the right time. And nothing looks spectacular, but at the end of the game, you're like, "Fuck!" Their point guard was really solid, man. He hurt us. Yeah. Hey, you, that's it. I'm sorry, but that's the tournament rule. In round one, I don't care what team I'm watching from the Fighting Snails to Montana State or whatever. When I see the six foot white point guard spot up, I expect it to go down. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's gonna go down. That's why he's on the floor because it's not because he's an athlete. It's because he's gonna knock down the shots. I, I gotta tell you, I kind of sort of semi fell in love with Texas Tech watching him play because I love all their different component parts. He got. Davide Moretti from Italy, their gunner. Uh, Tariq Owens is a pogo stick, nearly broke his leg in two, landing on it terrible. Culver is their best player. He was AWOL for most of the game, but then showed up late just when they needed it. And then his kid Odiasi is a beast inside. He doesn't do a lot, but he, he rebounds like a motherfucker. I kind of really liked him, and I think, I think they got a great chance to upset your who's tonight. Well, you're right. Which brings us to this final game. But I will say this. Uh, yes, I know I'm a biased one here. And there's very few games that I really have a you know such a tilt bias on. And this is one of them. So uh, my analysis is going to be what it is. But I will say this. what The one thing I do know over time is sometimes in playoffs, whether it's college, college, whatever, you see a team that just keeps – getting it done somehow, luckily, whatever, don't go against that team. <laughs> okay. So you want to talk Purdue? Sure. Good shot. You want to talk, you know, Auburn? Yeah. Okay. You, you can try Texas Tech, but, I'll, you know, lucky beats good. I, I don't know. They're, they're, the, sometimes you say, you know, if, if Texas Tech wins this tournament, the whole double dribble last second foul is gone away. It's not going away. It's got to be part of the story for the champion, right? It's you're, I would say you're right that it's very unscientific. It's a, it, it's, I have no data to back it up. Right. But it does seem that when a team with a horseshoe way up, way up its ass makes a run, that team, the horseshoe does not fall out. When the horseshoe is so wedged up there, and this is one of the all-time horseshoe up the ass teams we've seen it doesn't usually fall out that's purely anecdotal if you have seven examples of when the horseshoe fell out for a lucky ass team 
let me know. I'm all ears. But just my anecdotal brain says it doesn't fall out. So I it, do like yeah. Virginia tonight. That is the side I'm going to be on. But I have great respect, if not fear, for Texas Tech. You couldn't put it better. And by the way, how often does that horseshoe go to – I mean, they, this team finished this regular season ranked one in the country. How often does the, the, the top seed or the you know that team be the one that gets the luck and the breaks? It's usually you know some underdog. Team. Right. I don't know why they're getting it like they are, but you know what? We'll take it. And you could argue this is the exact type of team that Virginia loves to dance with. Auburn – adapted and they were slow dancing just fine on Saturday night, but this is the pace and this is the way Texas tech likes to play and they're very good at it, but they're not the masters. Yeah. Although, you know, you can say they like this, but I'm not sure they've actually, both of them can, I'm not sure either one of them's faced this, you know, they (laughs) Uh, haven't maybe every day in practice, but how about who was the guy on TV? Was it on Kellogg or Williams? that said, um, that it's not about tempo. Oh. It's about number of possessions. Like, isn't that... Isn't that the same tempo? thing? Yeah. It, that was actually Kenny Smith at halftime. And Kenny I, Smith, yes. I was ready to blast him on Twitter, but then I just... I, I sat for a second. Too easy. I, well, no, I sat for a second with my feeble mathematic brain and my analytical brain, and I had some bourbon in me, and I thought, well... I, I, was, using, I was using the Sam Kinison voice from Back to School. Well... Is he right? Is he right? I think the point he was making is tempo as temp pace is pace, but extra possessions by way of ORBs and and steals and turnovers can tilt a game in favor of a team and not affect the technical pace. Get what I'm saying? That's so far above what Kenny Smith ever could have. You, been you don't, you don't think that's what he was saying? Maybe, maybe I didn't. I didn't get it that way. But I, I, I sense he was saying, "Look, pace is one thing. I want to know number of possessions because if you steal an extra eight possessions with five offensive rebounds and three steals, or even more than that, okay, then you may take the same slow pace every time you have the ball, twenty to twenty-five seconds." But you're getting it more times because you're getting offensive rebounds and steals. Well, can't you simplify that and say offensive rebounds are nice? They are nice. Steals <laughs> okay. are nice, too. There and, you go. And not fouling is nice as well. You know, people are now – I've read some columns over the weekend saying, get your gas mask for Monday night. This is one of the least appealing matchups the tournament has had. And not just – name recognition wise, but star starless and scoring low scoring and everything else. I was watching closely both games for overly physical play. And frankly, Mr. X, I did not see it. I thought they were cleanly officiated and cleanly played. I just think today's teams defend like hell. I mean, really well. Well, you know, okay, how about let's take that one more step. In the half-court offense, if you're any good, you should defend really well. It's the transition game where you're shuffling back in, in, in the odd-numbered breaks where the D is really weak. So the more you run and create that, right. like North Carolina and score in the 80s, is that bad D or is that just, oh, God, tempo? Is that just, you know, pace? When you slow it down and play this, and that's Virginia's thing. The reason they play slow on offense is they don't want to defend the break on the other end. They want to use their defense to their advantage, and you can't do that if you're if you you know if the other teams run it. So the whole point is, yes, they're playing. Deep. Both these teams can play D. It's not a it's not a 1990s New York Knicks mugging. They're playing good defense. Both of these teams. All right, so I'm on Virginia minus one, not for anything significant because I don't want to jinx anything. I'm rooting for them, for you, for my sister, for my brother-in-law, for the Commonwealth I live in, and because they're good guys and Tony Bennett's a handsome devil who deserves a championship. That said, where do you stand on the total, Mr. X, of 118? 118. How about 117 I'm looking at now? It's still <laughs> creeping, creeping down. Yeah, that's – you know what? It's – 
it's that's a hard one. It could very. I wouldn't. As, as crazy as this sounds, I would never play under that. It's just too low. They might shoot the ball. They might go to overtime. I wouldn't play that. I also believe strongly in the second game in a dome theory. Teams don't shoot well when they go into those big damn not, arenas. That's not true, actually. I hate to. Uh, I read a story about it this weekend. It's not actually true. They've done numbers. But do I have to give do I have to give all my money back? No, but they no, but <laughs> no, but you may be right in that team shoot better in the, in the second, second game at a dome. That has not Correct. yet been researched, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. Okay. Whenever they play like in the you know, you always play teams in pairs when you play Friday, Sunday. I will play unders in the dome on Friday. Never on Sunday. They've already warmed up to it and they'll do better. Yeah. I don't I don't think they break it down like that. Okay. So I'm gonna over, but I'm gonna I'm I gonna lean over on that total. But. I'm gonna play under for one reason. I want to be able to brag that I played the under fearlessly, and I still won. If it wins, if it hits, it, it just for a little bit for a token amount, Mister X. This is for you, bragging rights you, to be able to say, yeah, one seventeen didn't phase me. I still went under, killed it. Still, do you want to enjoy watching the game Monday night, or does it matter? Are you into the – because there's nothing that will ruin it more for you than playing under in a championship. I know. It's like the Super Bowl because you sit there the whole game going, come on, clock, come on, clock. I, I want know. this over. That's not fun. <laughs> That's generally why I don't play totals because I get wrapped up in that and it distracts me from the game. I'd rather root for my money on one side right. and then just focus on the, the ebb and flow of who's winning. But I'll, I'll put a token on the under. This could be like UConn. I think UConn beat Butler 63-41. Back in 2011, so that's 105. This could be in that realm. We'll could see. Be. It could be. But I, I, what I will do is, if it's a token play under, so to speak, it's not worth me ruining the game. <laughs> I will only play under if I'm really big and strong on it, in which case I won't be watching it. Okay. Because I can't watch those. Do you have anything special on ice for tonight in case they were to win? No, but you know what? It would be the this would be the cleanest sweep in my life. Think about this year as a Caps championship check, Red Sox check, Patriots check as always. Virginia Cavaliers really another check. I think the only thing it leaves out, of course, I don't really care about the NBA, but we fired Ernie. Let's call that a big check. That's that's as good of a championship <laughs> as any for us it's Wizards like fans. So I'm gonna have the clean sweep hopefully tonight. Okay. Uh, what year did you graduate from Thomas Jefferson's shining beacon on the hill? Well, some people say years. I kind of have to do a range. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was there a long time. All right. um, it was in the 83, 84 range. Where, where, what dorm did you live in? My first year, really. I was in the old ones. I was in Emmett. Got it. And by the way, they, you know, that was back when, you know what they call the three best years of your life. What? From sophomore. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I asked you that question about the dorm, Mr. X? No. I wanted to pin you down as to whether you really went there. Oh, yeah. I, I, I knew you did. I'm not questioning you, but I, I wanted for those that might go, Mr. X. Okay. Because, you know, you're a Redskin fan, too. True. And you're a Patriot It's getting fan. harder and harder. I know yes. you're, you're a Patriot fan as well because of your parents' ties to Maine. Yes. And yes. being up there so often, so. Yes. All right. Yes. Maybe. They were always my second, and it's and when the Redskins are your first and the Patriots are your second in the last twenty years, it's hard not to switch. All right. Uh, it looks like the Orioles, your underbet, are starting to finally realize they do suck. But that was funny. The first week they uh, went four games, <laughs> four and one start. I, mean, I expected them to get about four each month, but it'll get there. It'll get there. All right, Mister X. Always good to talk to you. Good luck tonight, and we Thank will you. talk next week for gambling advice, money management strategy, philosophy on the dark art of point spreads. Go to callmemrx.com. Sign up if you want for his services, different levels. And yes. on Twitter, follow you at? Just call me Mr. X. Just call me Mr. X. All right, Thanks. Here. I always forget about that. Part. There you go. Plug is done, and good luck to your Cavaliers. We'll talk next week. Sounds good. Thanks. Some mop-ups here today. Giannis should be the MVP. Period. End of story. 
I've not yet read enough columns from NBA honk and NBA experts to know whether he's going to get it or not. I, I don't even know why it should be a debate. What a season for the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's a season that I have essentially missed the whole season. See, because when I was doing that other thing in Milwaukee in the mornings, they had played all of two games. And then that thing ended. And then I was told by the lawyers, yeah, you can't talk to Drew anymore on the Zabecast. So that sort of cut the legs out of me talking about this incredible season for the Milwaukee Bucks that has just concluded with their 60th win and should include a MVP for Giannis Attentacumpo. Attentacumpo. Greek freak. Greek freak, Greek freak, Greek freak. What a year. Last year, the Bucks finished seventh in the East. They're now number one and the best overall record. They were 44 and 38 last year. They lost in the first round of the Celtics in a very spirited seven round or seven game first round series. You could see it coming, but you don't always know if it is coming. Because the year before, the Bucs were 42 and 40. They lost to the Raptors in six. Three years ago, they were 33 and 49 and 12th in the East. And if you start going backwards from there, the 2015-2016 season when they finished 12th in the East, all the way back to the last time the Bucks were this good, the 2001 team that lost, that got jobbed, jobbed in the Eastern Finals to Iverson and the Sixers and to Kembe Mutombo shooting 18 free throws in Game 7. Look it up. That series went 4-3 Sixers, but they were second-best team in the East that year. The Ray Allen, uh, Glenn Robinson, George Carl, Milwaukee Bucks. So you go backwards from 2015-2016, the average finish for the Bucks is somewhere around 10th in the East. And now look at them. It's intoxicating. It's fantastic to see. And I'm looking forward to, in about two and a half weeks getting back on board officially with this season. Well, you could talk about it now, you know, amongst yourself. I know I could, but I want to talk about it with my new friends and I'm looking forward to it, but I I do feel a bit like a front runner. Please don't hold it against me, but man, this is going to be something I think. And if Giannis does win the MVP, which he should, that would be two in a row. Yelich won it for the Brewers. And now Giannis in the NBA. Giannis's MVP will be a league-wide thing. Of course, Yelich is, you know, it's a dual award, American League, National League. So a sport-wide MVP along with Yelich's MVP. And if Aaron Rodgers gets his shit together with Coach LaFleur, it could be a three-in-a-row tic-tac-toe. How great would that be? Although... Technically, Yelich would have to win it again. Still. Can you imagine, though? Brewers in the World Series. Well, first of all, let's take these first. Bucks in the NBA Finals. Brewers in the World Series. And then the Packers in the Super Bowl. Could you handle it, Scotties? Could you possibly handle it? Could you handle that with maybe your favorite sports personality talking about it every day? for a couple hours a day right in your backyard. Could you can you handle that? That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy fun. I'd sign up for that. If you don't mind me being a guy that hustles in front of a parade, hustles in front of a parade. Speaking of Rogers, so the Rogers McCarthy stuff came out, Bleacher Report story. I've skimmed it. I've read chunks. I'm gonna read the whole thing. All I know is this. I fucking hate that Mike McCarthy even more now. What a dipshit he is. I, I, I told you, I read the piece about him complaining about how he was fired. Oh, it was after a, it was very cold and impersonal. Shut up. But the stuff about him missing meetings to get a massage, which he denied after the story came out. I don't care if it's true or not. I just like the visual. 
I like the visual of that fucking orca on his back or on his belly while a meeting is going on and players are like, where's Big Mac? Oh, he's getting a massage. Just start the meeting without him. And some are blaming Ted Thompson for allowing this culture to get this way and some are pointing their fingers at number 12, at the diva. And there's chapter and verse of what about this time he said should he play what about this time he ignored the coach's call what about that time what about you know ex players lining up you know to bash Greg Jennings has been the number one Rogers basher of recent vintage to which I say you're lucky you played with him buddy I am 1000% on team AA Ron 1000% can he be a dick? I'm sure he can. Is he somewhat to blame for this? Probably. But guess what? Football people have been saying McCarthy's scheme is for shit. And some people are saying McCarthy has been the guy holding Rodgers back. The proof will be in the pudding this year. The proof will be in the new offensive system. And the proof will be in whether or not he and LaFleur get along and make sweet, sweet music. But I look at it like this. Aaron Rodgers didn't suddenly suck at football. And he's got four or five gloriously still prime years left to him. So if he's hard to get along with, if he's moody, if he dates a mean little mousy ex-NASCAR driver, who the fuck cares? This guy is a god on earth. God himself reached down and touched that right arm. You ride that guy. This is no time to get weak. No time to get wobbly on number 12. You need to be all in, Packer fans, on 12. I don't want to hear the sniping. I don't want to hear the, oh, you know, he might have been the whole problem. There are some people saying this contract extension was a huge mistake. Some idiots out there suggesting getting out of the business of 12. You're crazy. You need to get on board. We all need to get on board, and we need to just say, okay, he's going to be moody and weird, and maybe he'll change plays, but he's still not as douchey as number four was. And he can still play football. He doesn't suck. Let's get him a scheme that is more modern, includes more short passes, so he doesn't have to improvise every play, and let's have a coach with some balls for once. And let's just see how that goes. I'm still all in on number 12, in case you couldn't tell. Last item before we're done here. The fan who attacked Bret Hart at his Hall of Fame induction speech over the weekend for WWE's WrestleMania. I say fan because he's an idiot. He was some idiot that paid a ticket to get in there. Maybe he thought it'd be a cool pop. Hey, man, I'm going to get drunk. I'll tackle Bret Hart. The swarm of wrestlers and security personnel that jumped on him was a sight to see. And Hart, being the stud that he is and the pro that he is, didn't break sweat and didn't miss a beat and kept on going. He was fine. That said, I have so little tolerance for this shit. I want frontier justice in cases like this. In fact, I think the perfect justice would be to let pro wrestlers fight this guy in a Hell in a Cell cage match, yet they can actually do the real moves on this guy. Oh, yeah. I want to see a pile driver where you literally pile drive the guy's head and neck into the mat. But but that'll that'll paralyze him. Could kill him. To which I say, to which I say, like uh, like Dolph Lundgren in Rocky, if he dies, he dies. Wait, was that uh, was that Dolph Lundgren who said that, or was that Schwarzenegger in some movie? Either way, that that's how I feel. I feel like if you do something so stupid like that, you purposely run somewhere you don't belong and you attack somebody, frontier justice. Let pro wrestlers actually fight this guy and do the real moves without pulling a punch and and really drop him off the top of a cage onto a table. Of course, I believe uh, 
old mankind did that, and that was real. Gravity is real. He did fall off a 20-foot cage onto a table, lived to tell about it, which is pretty fucking amazing. But I think a civilian, the stupid Rastafarian haircut, or maybe that was a wig, whatever, we'll just see how he does. Maybe a, a thumbtacks, fire, and ladders match, and this guy is the main attraction. Just line up four of the toughest, baddest wrestlers of the day and say, good luck. We'll see how it goes. All right, that'll do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Going to be a late night tonight. Championship Monday, one shining moment. Can Texas Tech finish the deal? Can they close out this incredible run? Or is it Virginia t- Virginia's time with that horseshoe pointed squarely to the heavens? We shall find out. Thank you for listening. Email me with thoughts, suggestions, feedback, you name it at zabe at yahoo.com. Tell a couple of friends. Make sure to get the app as well. It's free and very convenient for listening to this podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great night watching the championship, and we'll be here to talk about it tomorrow. Champagne.